Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Tech Events Matter, a series of interviews of mentors, alumni, and friends of Startup Sesame who all share one thing in common. They attend events as part of their jobs. Quite a lot of them. On this new episode, we interview Arnaud Bonzon, the co-founder of Map the Money, an organization that helps entrepreneurs to raise funds in Southeast Asia. He's venture partner at 500 Startups and entrepreneurial residence at INSEAD. He's also a frequent speaker at several global conferences like Slush, Tech in Asia, Rise, and Web Summit. And, well, we met for the first time uh, in Lebanon at a tech event, actually. Hey, Arno, how are you doing? Hi, Ben. All good. Thanks for having me today. Thanks for joining us. Uh, where are you right now? I'm in Singapore. I just uh, flew back from uh, Paris uh, a few days ago. Uh, can you tell us more about yourself and your background, please? Oh, sure. Um, so moving Singa- I'm French, moving to Singapore uh, six years and a half ago. Um, and for the last six and a half years ago, I was working, I'm working with mostly startups in, a, in Southeast Asia and in APAC. And for that, uh, I attended a lot of events. I didn't count, uh, but it's like several hundreds already. Um, so happy to share about some of those events and what I'm doing there. And before that, you, before going to Singapore? Uh, before going to Singapore, I was a student, uh, so did a, I went to university in Versailles, uh, close to Paris, and then I went to a business school in the south of France. Interesting. And you're based in Singapore, so why are you there? Why did you decide to go there? Well, the thing is, when I was a student, I moved a lot uh, between uh, different continents. So I did part of my study in France, part of it in China. I did an internship in uh, Australia, um, an exchange program in Canada. I did also an internship in South America. So when you travel so much and basically every six months you move from one continent to another one for three years, then it's pretty open about where you're willing to go. Um, so basically I ended up in Singapore because I wanted to go to a new uh, region, so looking after Southeast Asia. But also um, seven years ago when I made that decision, I want to go in a place where um, – the future will be there and everything is growing and going in a good way. So it's basically what is happening in Southeast Asia for the last seven years. Can you tell us actually a bit more about this? Like what is so special? Like give us some examples of for entrepreneurs in particular. Yeah, sure. So I think a lot of European companies now or U S company, when they're looking at expanding, they start to look more and more after Asia. 
because Asia is just growing. Um, you have a lot of very young population. So you get a lot of countries where a large part of the population is below 45 or uh, even if 35 years old. Um, and everyone is on this mobile. So everyone is very well connected. Um, their uh, purchasing power is increasing also for a lot of those population. But then when you look at China, China is very specific and you get um, people will always mention the BAT, like Beidou, Alibaba, Tencent. But the thing is, um, you get like kind of 20 other companies following them. So people will don't talk too much about Meituan or G.com or Didi or Xiaomi and et cetera. So mm. it's really a red ocean and it's like full of Chinese companies. So trying to enter China is very difficult. And there's a lot of example of European or US company who have um, even if they're big, they have a lot of trouble to enter that market and very few of them have really succeeded in China. Uh, and India is very specific too. Um, so a lot of those uh, companies from Europe and US at the end look after Southeast Asia. And Southeast Asia also produce a lot of pretty good companies now. Um, so of course we get first like some market internet company like Lazada, which was the equivalent of uh, in Europe will be something like Zalora. Uh, oh no, sorry, Zalando. Yeah, Zalora, Zalando. We got we got those kind of companies to here that the journalists in e-commerce. Um, the challenge um, here is more about the fragmentation of the market. So mm-hmm. South Asia is like Europe. Um, you got uh, say less countries. It's mostly like ten countries, and everyone look at six countries um, most of the time. But then you get a massive fragmentation in terms of currency, in terms of legislation, in terms of languages. So it's like Europe, but a little bit more difficult in that way. Uh, but the thing is, uh, 650 million people. Yeah, and those people bigger, right? Uh, for some yeah. like it, but the purchasing yeah. power, purchasing power would be lower. Mm-hmm. So, but the future is promising. So, is why a lot of people are looking after after Southeast Asia. And something that people um, don't think too much about is they always say like, "Oh, Indonesia is the biggest country of the region," uh, which I don't really like that perspective. The one I like is to say Indonesia is the fourth biggest country in the world. Mm-hmm. And usually people try to count, but it's true. It's only China, India, and USA above Indonesia in terms of population. So it's one of the big, mar- big market here, uh, definitely. And uh, it's also the biggest Muslim country in the world. So these are like some of the specific things about, about Southeast Asia. And, and, and if you compare Thailand with Philippines or Vietnam or Singapore, and Indonesia has like very different markets. Um, one of the reasons why we, we are talking today, and we'll come afterwards to talk more into details uh, about events, but uh, is the fact that you are working with startups and corporates and um, that you publish different reports, uh, different, you know, have different activities in that space. But so first, I wanted to ask you about Map of the Money to understand mm-hmm. a bit better what it is and uh, how this is uh, helping entrepreneurs over there. Yeah, sure. So Map of the Money have been studied um, in Singapore like a few years ago, in fact, by uh, by a Singaporean, and he was doing that as a PDF version. So the idea was to help um, entrepreneurs to navigate the funding landscape. So for example, in France, um, two years ago, you got, um, it was, I think, Serena Capital, who also published a list um, of VCs, and they have updated like uh, a few months ago. In the US, now you start to get like few organizations like NFX and et cetera, who start to build also um, some database and some information for entrepreneurs. The challenge um, we're trying to solve is, um, when you look at an entrepreneur, it will need to raise funds like, let's say, every 18 or 24 months. And every time an entrepreneur needs to raise funds, is a very unique situation. So when you raise your seed round or your angel round or your Series A round, all those rounds are very different because you're not talking to the same kind of investors. So every time you need to do, again, your own work. So let's say you're a SaaS startup and you're raising now your Series A round, you need to look at, okay, who are the investors I should talk to? 
what are the expectations of those investors, etc. So you lose a lot of your time because mm-hmm. what we feel is an entrepreneur should spend his time just to build a product and speak to, to his customer. This is the core of, of the founder's job, right? Um, and we just want to help them to find funding faster. So basically what we started to do is like listing who are the active investors. So not only everyone seeing that investors, but people who have done investment in the last few months. And then um, we start to collect also what are the size of the check that's doing. Because saying like your series investors is you don't know what, what amount those guys are looking to invest. And we also look after which kind of vehicle it is. Because raising from a corporate for your series A versus raising from a VC or raising from what I would call a super angel uh, is a very different because of what they will ask, how fast they will go, um, are they willing to take the lead or not, all those kind of things. So basically, our vision is um, we know we have started to launch some filters. So we have like three um, to just do a beta test about how people are using it. But we have looking to build like close to 20 of them on the long term. Mm-hmm. So basically, it will be 20 quick questions you answer about which kind of quality of data you look for. Uh, which country they invest in, which industry, and et cetera. So these are some of um, what we have built and uh, building in the next few months. So an entrepreneur, you answer those quick questions, and then you get a sense about what are the 30 or 40 VCs you should talk to, and and it just make that work easier for uh, for the entrepreneurs. So this is a problem we're trying to solve. And one of the goals is to have people to spend as little as time as possible on our website to find quickly who are the right person. So we're not looking about having people to spend like 20 minutes on that website, uh, we want them to spend just a short amount of time, but find who are the right investor for them. And how do you collect the data, for example? Like you were t- saying uh, that you know what type of checks they are sign- signing and yeah. so on. So most of the website it will share about investment of VCs. It will tell you um, most of the time um, which stage they are looking to invest in or which range they are looking to do. But most of the time, this could be quite misleading. So what we do, we email them and we, we have um, some um, discussion with them about getting uh, all their data about which kind of check they've done the last 12 months. And then what we publish is an aggregation of this data. So then, for example, you can look at some of those VCs and you get a sense about what have been the smaller check they've done, the bigger check they've done. But also you get a sense about what has a 25 and 75% seal. And this means you get what are the 50% of the time, what are the check size they're doing in which area this is. Then you get a sense about if you aim for that check size, it's pretty likely it will work. But of course, all these data show what happened in the past. Don't necessarily predict what they will do in the future. But if they're still investing from the same fund, it's pretty likely to be similar. It will be not too far. Someone doing like two to five million check will don't overnight say, oh, no, I'm only doing a, a seven to 10. Uh, it's pretty unlikely to happen. It could be if they raise a bigger fund and 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 looking about being a part of bigger rounds, or if the average round on the stage are really growing, is something possible. Um, but usually, it's pretty similar. And uh, you were mentioning uh, NFX uh, earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, they launched, I think it was maybe like one week or two weeks ago. Uh, they are sort of VC match uh, tool online, which is something maybe similar. Um, yeah, they launched yeah. they launched a new version. They started like a year plus ago. With Signal, uh, right? It was Signal, it was like more database. Um, but Signal, it will be you as a VC, you just declare which kind of size of ticket you are going to do or you are doing, um, which is kind of information we collect, but we go uh, further because we also go to collect the data about what, deal, what kind of deals they are doing. We also do a massive curation. So VC was saying, are saying they're doing investment and we didn't have seen them doing anything 
for example, you're seed investors and you have done no deals for the last 12 months, um, then we will remove you on the on the list. So for us, it's not I mean, necessarily having the biggest list possible. Mm-hmm. It's more about active investor list. And what we want is for the, as I mentioned, the, the entrepreneurs to find like, let's say in 30 seconds or 20 seconds, who are the VCs you should talk to. But those VCs need to be active. And what we want through that is an entrepreneur to find um, 60 to 80% in volume or in value um, all the investors for this round. So basically helping him to do the heavy lifting because at the end, you will always have exception. You always have a corporate who never invests in a company who may do the first deal with you or something else. Mm-hmm. So we want to do that heavy lifting part, helping the entrepreneur to do that like very quickly. If you just do a massive list of all the people who have invested once, some people who can invest uh, and all those kind of things without so much curation, then it's becoming a very, very long list. And then when you use whatever filter, you need to have like 200 investors. What do you do with that? I don't it's, know. It's too big. Yeah. <laughs> so that is like 30 to 40. And, and, and then you get a pretty good uh, base of people you should talk to. Um, and hopefully three or four of them will invest in your round if you're looking to raise funding. Okay. Uh, very interesting. Um, another question also about your activities, non-linked to events. And then uh, I'll move to that part is uh, your work with uh, corporates, so like startup and corporate relationship. In particular, uh, one of the reasons why you're known around is uh, a report that you co-authored uh, around like open innovation, corporate, you know, startup strategies. It was a beautiful T-Rex on the cover. Uh, can you tell us more about this and how that was framed within your work at 500 Startups, maybe? Sure. So we wanted to know more about what corporate are doing with startups. And, and you get a lot of people talking about it. You get several reports, but most of the report we have found is, is only talking about one thing. For example, like BCG have done great report about corporate VCs, mm-hmm. uh, but they only look at the corporate VCs. Um, or you get some report about what is happening in France and they only look at the, at the 40 public companies in France. Or you get a report who just look at doing a list of best practice. So basically, it was like everything was looking at a very small angle that we feel. So what we wanted to do is we want to go through the 500 biggest public companies in the world and we check one by one what they're doing with startups. So we look from like Chinese companies to American companies. Some of them are in Singapore, even if um, a lot of them in France. I think France was like 27, if I recall correctly. Um, so we look for all those corporates and we look at seven different things. We look at who's having a corporate fund, who's having a startup program like Microsoft Bespark or AWS Activate, um, who is offering co-working space, who is offering marketing support, technical support, um, et cetera. So the thing is, we look at like a lot of different dimensions across um, at least a, a good sample, which is 500 companies. Um, and this helps us to get, sense, to get a sense about what is happening by country, what is happening by industries, um, and, and is why it was pretty interesting. And I think the report works well because um, we have been through, going through the biggest sample of companies uh, for that kind of report. Um, I think also, of course, if we do that with two brands like 500 Startup and Insight is also helpful. Um, and, and just to give you an example of, of traction of the report based on events, we've been invited to speak to 130 conference in 29 countries, uh, between my quarter and myself when we published the report. Um, this was uh, a little bit more than two years ago now. That's insane. Well, and it's a good transition to talk about conferences. We recently had a coffee in Paris and you told me uh, about how you prepared for events like Web Summit. And I found it fascinating because you 
are going there as a speaker, uh, you have already uh, a solid network. Nevertheless, you prepare a lot. Like you spend a lot of time preparing. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us more like why you prepare so much and how you do it. Well, the thing is, when you go to an event like Web Summit, is is a very large event, right? It's like, I think if I recall, it's like 60,000 people going there. Yeah, um, and, it, and it will last like um, three days, plus then you get all the side events. Um, so if you want to get the best out of those events, I feel if it just, I will say for me, the worst case is just get an attendee pass and just walk through the, the conference, attend a few talks, and talk to some people at the booth. Um, you can do that, of course, but I don't think so. By doing that kind of thing, you get the best of the events. Um, so, for example, like uh, when I went to Web Summit last year um, in Portugal, what I did is is few things. Um, uh, first, um, I got the chance to moderate uh, one of the talk, but it was wasn't during Web Summit. It was just the day before because I running like three events before. It was like Venture Summit for VCs. You get uh, Ecosystem Summit for uh, Ecosystem Builder. And you got, um, the third one was a corporate summit. Uh, so based on all the things I'm doing, I got the chance to get invited to the three of them, but all of them are the same day in different location. So I was just able to attend two of them. But basically it means um, you do that and then you got Web Summit. And at Web Summit, I had access to a conference called Forum, which is inside Web Summit. So basically before going there, what I did is I look at on the Web Summit website, like all the speakers on the conference because the only part you can see, you can't really see that. I mean, that speaker slash attendees also that are doing the mix. So I look at all those kind of thing. Also, sometimes also the good thing is Web Summit do that based on your IP. So if you're in Singapore, they will give you more results about people also in Singapore and Southeast Asia. So this is pretty good. So then I go through the list and I selected around like 100 people that I want to talk to. So then I just do a girl spreadsheet. I put the 100 people. I find the 100 LinkedIn profile. And then usually what I do, I message them on LinkedIn. Um, and I try to, I, I try to avoid something. I just, Hey, let, let's grab a coffee. Right. Mm-hmm. Because the person don't know what is in for, for them to grab that coffee. So usually I just, uh, for example, I reached to one or two maker, a, a big one, having a corporate founder. And I'm like, Hey, I wrote this report. Um, we'll cover automotive industry. I will be happy to share some insight with you. And, and I would love to know more about what you are doing. So like something very telemed about what the name of the person is doing. Uh, as the name of the position in that company. So I tried, So you need to spend a bit of time. Of course, you get a structure of the email message. It could be copy and paste, but like maybe 50% of it, you just telemade it. And mm-hmm. then you, you send that to close to 100 people. Um, and, and this is one way to do it. And, and then I, get, I got like uh, maybe 30, 40% of them will reply to me. Uh, and most of This is a very high high conversion rate. Yeah, because also sometimes I I message quite senior people and they just don't use LinkedIn. (laughs) So I don't know, maybe 10 or 20% of them maybe or maybe more just don't don't look after the message. Um, So, but basically I I really spend time to tell them the message. And and then I set a meeting with those people. Um, And this is a large part of, of, of getting something out of those events. I also look after people that I sometimes I've met briefly before and they're also going there. So for those one is maybe 90, 95% of people reply to you, people that you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, I met briefly last year, um, the CEO of Logitech in, in Adrice. And then he told me like, oh, let's catch up next time. We, you are in San Francisco or, or, or at another conference. So I messaged him and I, and I managed to get a breakfast with him uh, uh, in, 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 in Lisbon. So, so this is a large part of it, but I'm also... Um, doing something I also love to do at a conference is also a good way to meet people is 
the friends of your friends or like your contact of your contact. So usually what I do for those large conferences, I do a WhatsApp group when I just add all the people that I know going there. So usually I just post on Facebook and hey, who's going to Web Summit or who's going to Rise? Then I create a WhatsApp group, usually it's like 30 to 50 people. Um, but it's very highly created um, group of people. And and usually you get from them all, a little bit all over the world. And what I do, I also do for that WhatsApp group, I do also a spreadsheet where I put the name of everyone, where they're coming from. But I also put um, a, a page of um, that spreadsheet about the list of events. So you always get a lot of side events. And usually people on that group are also organizing their own side events. So then they invite the other people of the group in. So and, and then the last part I put on that spreadsheet is a list of resources. So this is some homework I also do. Um, it's not only about messaging people and you are going to Portugal. It was, okay, what should I know about the Portugal startup ecosystem mm-hmm. or what is happening in Lisbon, right? So usually I do uh, something I call like more like startup ecosystem 101. So I look at what are the main reports, what are the main articles, what are kind of some of the flagship startups or exit in the ecosystem? What are the flagship VCs, corking space, schools, um, startup association, or even if media. So I look at a lot of those kind of things and I put those resources also in that spreadsheet. So I try to make that that group quite helpful and, and not open to just everyone having a link and then you get 200 people and, and getting people to ask like some, some dumb questions. So I try to moderate and having like some smart question between people and also ask people when I choose themselves in a group to say, um, who they are, what they're doing, uh, but also what they're looking for at the conference, what do they need, and also how they can help the other people. So just to hopefully get people to talk more to each other and having them to to help each other. Um, and and then also what happened, because you also have that kind of thing, is when you go to the events, um, you will see those people also around. They will share a lot of things with you, but also you see them speaking with other people. And then as a great people to meet, because usually if your friend is speaking with them for like a while and you just come and say, hi, in a polite way, don't be pushy. And, and you see if they are a good way to answer the discussion or not, usually they will introduce you to the other person. And this is a good person to meet. So this is a, is a pretty good way. And of course, one thing I think people don't do much is be a good friend of the organizer. Uh, because at Web Summit, I know a few of them and, and during the conference, they'll be very kind to when they send me, they say, hey, I know um, there's this guy and this guy, you should meet them and then choose me to people. Well, how's that doing their full day of job? Um, so this is also another way to, to get like some good introduction during the conference is the organizer, of course. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah, it's, it's uh, very interesting. And also the... The fact that you might have them at different time, you know, and then the payback type of thing. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, I tried to be helpful and, and not doing thing about thinking what you can get in return. So it happened to me at some conference. I was just going there, just um, attending. And um, for example, it happened to me to rise last year. So I know Casey was organizing and I just say, hey, I, I will be there. Let me know if you need anything. And he was like, well... Uh, maybe I need someone to speak about the Singapore ecosystem. Like, can you join a panel? All right. So, so I wasn't expecting anything. I was just like, Hey, I'm here. Um, uh, anyway, I will, I will go to rice. Um, I take day off to go to rice. So I'm like, I'm pretty flexible. So if you need anything, just let me know. So by just being helpful, sometimes you get like some pretty good stuff like that. Um, and, and I think is, is a good thing. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, uh, because just earlier you were saying that the, the best for startup founders to be uh, building this product and not spend time on other stuff. Um, so my question will be, do you think it's relevant for them to go to events? And also more specifically, uh, if they can sort of get some inspiration of this type of uh, strategy. And I'm thinking more specifically again, that you're, you're well known because of your research. So is there anything there where as a startup founder, you can also Mm -hmm. maybe build content and by this build your brand and get, you know, this sort of uh, notoriety and get speaking engagement and the like, what is your opinion about it? Yeah, I think, um, I think an event could be helpful to everyone is it really depends about where you are coming there and, and what you need to get out of those kind of events. So, for example, I've been to an event in Singapore and a startup that was helping a little bit to raise fund and I introduced them to a VC and this was kind of not moving forward. And I would just say, hey, guys, where, where this is, is going? And I was like, oh, it doesn't move much. I said, okay, let's let, wait there. They have a booth. They wait there. Don't move. I went in a, in a conference. I found the VC. I grabbed him. I said, come back. And, and they need to invest in the startup. Um, <laughs> so, so it also depends about really what you want to get out of it. So if you're a startup and you go there to fundraising, you need to know who are all the VC who are going there. You need to know which one are the good one um, to invest at your stage. You need to know who are the right partner, etc. You need to do your homework. The advantage of the conference is you can do a quick 10, 20 minutes chat with them and you can do like 20 of them in the same day. So I think this advantage of the conference is I personally, most of them don't really listen any talk at the conference. I just feel it's a good reason for everyone to be at the same place. And, and easier to meet people and, and, and get an update of the one you know what they're doing. So if you look at raising fund or selling to corporate, for example, uh, your product, it's just easy to meet all those people. So for example, like when I went to Web Summit, um, I wanted to talk to a lot of corporate also having their booth. So the advantage, you know where they are and they're stuck. They can move, right? But the premise, if you come on the day at 3 p.m., they're tired. They already explained like, 200 times the same thing to people. Their brain is kind of off. They just want to finish the day, go back to the hotel, and they also still need to deal with a lot of emails. So when I was at Web Summit, when I want to catch up with corporate, I just do first thing in the morning. So basically, you just arrive when the door open on the morning. 
even if you party last night. And then you can meet them. They're still quite relaxed. It's pretty the first day. Uh, they're quite relaxed. They're not too tired to explain the thing. And it's easier to make contact with them. So the timing is also important. Like, I don't know, because I've been in a conference and on a booth. And when you explain the same thing for three days and you need to start up, it's just horrible. Uh, so you are way more relaxed and chill and you have way more IQ uh, and EQ when you meet those people on the first day, on, the, on your first half an hour or 20 minutes. It's way easier. And also they can tell you, oh, you know what? We're doing a party the second day or Thursday. Mm-hmm. We have this kind of event. Why not you join? Um, so it's way better to do that. Like hopefully you do the best one the first day, the less good the second day and et cetera. But it's also important to look at those kind of things. But it's like when you go to networking events, a friend gave me a good tip it's a few years ago. He said like, you know, it's very difficult to know like, have you done enough or, or, or not much? Or sometimes you just talk to someone, it's good discussion and then you, you don't meet that much people. So my friend was like, you know, I go to networking events. My goal is to collect 10 business cards. When I've collected 10 business cards, I just try to enjoy. So it was a mix between let's focus and some KPIs about getting 10 business cards. But then it's about more looking about, let's give that a little bit more random perspective. And maybe I just meet some other people. Maybe I talk half an hour with one person, but I'm not stressed about, hey, I didn't have done what I should have done there. So, so I think it was an interesting way to do it and looking about mm-hmm. um, collecting some business card and being sure you have made some contact at the event. Um, but this is more like for two or three hours um, networking events. Mm-hmm. Um, and, also, and about, yeah, sorry, just go ahead. A, a good place to go if you can is the speaker room uh, because you get high quality people to meet there and depending on um, which kind of conference you go is pretty likely that nobody will be a waste of your time if you have access to that kind of area. Um, so sometimes is of course being a speaker or being just a panelist or moderator, um, try to find your way. Of course, at the beginning, it's easier to just offer to moderate. And I will say the next step would be to be a panelist and then would be a, to be a keynote speaker. Um, and usually then fire shot is even if above, uh, because, um, this has happened to like more, uh, very senior people, but this is sometimes you can consider like, Hey, you know, being a moderator, you don't get much out of it. Uh, but then it could be a great thing for you to access the speaker. Uh, the speaker room and then it's a pretty good networking sometimes also you get speaker dinners um, so this is a pretty good one um, sometimes you can also find where will be the speaker dinner uh, or, or speaker party or those kind of things so 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 the first thing I really think is about know what you want to get out of those events and then you need to build your strategy to get that um, but I think too much people feel they buy the ticket they already have the 90% of the job and then they just need to attend listen some talk and and and, and walk through some booth um, I think when you have bought the ticket is you have done like 10% is, is still a lot of homework. If you really want to get the, t- the best out of those kind of events. And, uh, going back to my question, uh, around content. So the fact that yeah. you, 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 you get this, uh, speaker exposure because you did research, like you spend time building this expertise. Do you have any advice for startup founder? Like if I'm building a product, how can I, get there except because I raised X amount of money and I get, you know, this sort of recognition. Mm-hmm. This brand content is part of that strategy for a startup founder? Um, yeah, it could be. I think, I think is um, when you look at the event organizer, you need to put um, in your shoes of the event organizer. The challenge you will have is like, are you knowledgeable about a topic or is it an interesting story, right, to, to share? Because at the end, you need to, you need to bring the audience to the event, right? Um, and, so basically, it's interesting because just before publish a report, like maybe two weeks before, so at that stage, you are just doing like the small details and adjustment of design, et cetera. 
I reached out to a few conference organizers and some of them told me like, no, uh, because we don't have published yet, right? But your knowledge two weeks before publishing and the week after you publish is the same. Um, but they have no proof about what is your knowledge on the topic. Uh, but what's interesting is as soon as you publish, you get way more requests and the person who told you, no, maybe come back to you and you're like, yeah, but I just got two better conferences the same week. So I made those do those one now since uh, you declined before and no, I get better things to do. Um, but the thing is, um, if you look at the content is also, I didn't think about that, but when you publish a content is also showed to people like, what do you know? And, and before, if they don't met you, they don't know what you know. And the content is a very scalable way to do it because mm-hmm. you can reach out to a lot of people. So, for example, what if, I think my first speaking engagement, I got it because I did a deck of the startup ecosystem in Singapore. And it is the same thing, right? Before I publish those kind of things, you know those things, but nobody knows that you know that. And as soon as you publish, like, hey, you publish that, um, why not I invite you? And then you're also more legit because it's like, oh, we're inviting this guy because he published that deck or he published that report. Um, so, so it's becoming way easier, but like a lot of those, uh, content, if you do it, I think is it, it, it shouldn't be done in a way to just, um, self promote your company. Um, or, um, it's not the way that people will want to read that. They don't want to read a document that looks like an advertisement. Right. So for example, if you're a company like, let's say MailChimp or SendGrid and your job is doing email, if you do report not about how to use your platform, but about how to improve, uh, your newsletter, how to get more open rates, uh, how to get better engagement, etc. is something that a lot of companies are sending emails, right? It's still very well used. So then if you do something, it's more like, hey, how to do a great email marketing or etc. cetera, um, or newsletter, then is a topic that everyone wants you to speak about, okay? So then it's two options. Either you as a CEO of one of these companies and then you got invited because of your position and the reputation of the company. But if you just joined the company and you're pretty junior, People may don't invite you, except if you're maybe the guy who author like 50 page document about who are all the best practices of that. And, and you're not too pushy of saying, hey, everything, of course, you can do it with our own platform. So, so this is, I think the content is something we can really help you to build a reputation, but it's a lot of work. Um, hmm. You don't, if you really want to do a great piece of content, um, it could be, I mean, it's like a few hundred hours of work. So, so it's really a lot of work, but it's really helpful then when you want to speak to conference. Uh, and then you, if you want to last also, and you want to go again and again to the same conference, you need also to have a different point of view or a different approach because they will not invite you three years in a row to say exactly the same thing. So, so then it's like, when you also reach out to those conferences, you need, if it's as a speaker, you need also tell them like, which topic you want to talk about, um, a short description and what will be the main takeaway for the audience, who should be the audience, etc. Then it's easier for them to put you somewhere mm-hmm. and you also have more chance to be put in front of the audience you're looking for. Um, so content is a good thing, but it takes time. It's, it's a lot of work if you want to do a good piece of content. Um, is, is, I mean, yeah, and, and also is you also need to have a good distribution. So I prefer to get great piece of content and a good distribution compared to um, a good piece of content and a great distribution. Uh, but distribution is still important. So you need to people to know about what, what you publish. Um, if you just publish the best thing, but nobody read it, it will be difficult for you to get um, speaker engagement. Uh, I have uh, one more question before we wrap it up. Um, you, you like to, to speak at events or travel to events that are happening in places you've never been to. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you tell us uh, some interesting experiences? Yeah. So this is like one of the KPI, personal KPI. I was like, I try to go to three new countries per year. 
um, the challenge I have is uh, in my childhood, I also travel a lot. So I think now I'm around like 50 countries. So to do a new, a new one is becoming more difficult, except if I go to Africa now. Uh, I still have some obvious one I've never been, like Germany. <laughs> As French, yeah. it's a bit weird. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, know. I've been to a country like, uh, uh, where I've been? I've been to Galapagos in Ecuador. I've been to Nepal. I've been to um, uh, Israel or, or to South Korea, etc. but never been to Germany. Um, so it's something I need to do uh, one day. So basically, I like to go to new countries and especially like I will call myself as like a startup tourist. So just to discover another ecosystem and and get a sense about what is happening. And it's more ecosystem you see and better you get a chance to understand about how startup ecosystem works. Of course, the Paris startup ecosystem is not the same that Toulouse, uh, but you get a, some similarity right there. Uh, but if you go to, I went last year to Nepal. This was very interesting. I feel like the current startup ecosystem in Nepal was like, uh, six or seven years behind the Singapore one. So, so it's quite interesting to see like how the, I talked to some corporate, I talked to some entrepreneurs to try to get a sense about how this kind of thing is happening. So when you get a chance to be speaker at some of those conferences, some of them, sorry, some of them will pay you the flight and the accommodation. Um, it's more difficult to get paid as a speaker at those tech conference. Um, most of them will don't pay. Um, but they just cover your flight and accommodation for some of them. And then sometimes it's just a good way to spend three or four days in like countries like Nepal to discover what is happening. Um, also, like as you mentioned, we also met in uh, Lebanon, and this is uh, thanks to Samir. Uh, we organized like a Bank du Liban conference. Um, so it's, it's always a good way to meet great people. Uh, Israel also went for a conference, for example. Um, so, so this is for me a good way to explore a new ecosystem. Uh, but I also try when I go to those countries to don't do only startup ecosystem. I try to look also a little bit about what is the culture and went to a few museums and do some of those kind of things and get a better sense about what people are doing. So when I went to Nepal, they get like some specific um, Oni, uh, like uh, a very specific one. <laughs> there's some report, there's some um, 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 documentary about what bees are doing in Nepal and, and you can get some interesting results of, of the other work. Um, so I just like to try something like local stuff, local food, um, talk to local people. Um, this is a good way to discover uh, new countries. Thank you. It's super interesting. I thank you again for your time um, and for joining us in this new episode of Tech Events Matter. The video will be available on Facebook and we will soon publish the podcast of your interview. I see you soon, maybe at a conference. Yeah, sure. I would just, if we can just add one thing, um, yes, prepare also a little bit um, which conference you want to attend. So it's something I do usually once per year. I do a list of like, the conference in Singapore, but also in APAC. And then also look after which one I want to attend. And I also try once per year to attend one in Europe. And I try to change to go to different ecosystem and meet different people. Um, don't be too passive and just, hey, there's a conference next week, so let's go to that one. Think about which kind of conference you want to go, which kind of audience will be there, which kind of people you want to meet. And try to change a little bit. I don't necessarily go to the, to the easy one. Um, try to go to uh, some different kind of conference. You'll be surprised by the people you can meet. And you have a list of the top uh, conferences in the APAC region actually on your website. Yep, yep. I've done APAC and uh, Singapore. Excellent. Again, thank you very much for your time. Thank I you, Ben. Very soon. And remember, events matter.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Traffic jams, tailgating, pile-ups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.